Episode 71, Beautifully Defected. Introducing Louise Erskine on the BTS Creative Academy podcast, Uncut. With me, your host, Martin Colton. Yeah, I didn't look at the stats for a little while. I just was just, just doing it, just practicing and just, just, crack on. just cracking on with it. That's the best way. And um, yeah, well, uh, just before Christmas time, I looked at the Spotify stats and I was like, oh, shit, people are listening. Oh, I didn't how, did, know. how did that happen? Yeah, nice. um, can you hear yourself on the, yes. on the headphones? Yeah. Um, so there's a little um, a routine, a little tradition that's that started with these okay. that we start with. Um, it's it's kind of strange, I don't know, but it's just something. I like tradition and I like strange, so yeah. I'm here for it. Like, okay, cool. So all it is is a little cap, a little clap after okay. three. All we do is go one, two, three, clap, and we begin. Okay. Okay. So one, two, three. Oh, just one. Just I one clap. Just I was one clap. Like a whole round of applause. <laughs> you can give me a round of applause if you like. But it's just one. It's, it's interesting to see where people go with it. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, but now we're in. We're in the podcast. Yes. It's happening. So, uh, Louise, thank Hi. you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. This yeah. Is, this is really fun. I love this venue. Yeah. Yeah. You're saying you, you used to live nearby, but you didn't. Yeah, you didn't I've know this place was and here. And I mean, when I was driving past like Old Harlow, I was like, how. How is this right here? Like, mm. I used to walk up here all the time. I yes. no, no clue. I like to think of it as a hidden gem it of the is. town. It is. It literally is. It's yeah. beautiful. Some beautiful things go on here. It's a community space, community yeah. theatre. Especially Harlow is very, like, 60s boxes of concrete. Yes. And this is beautiful old Victorian. Old Victorian like, building, yeah. yeah just hiding nice. away. Yeah, because it's, it's a new town. 50s, 60s, yeah, it, it, is, was, exactly. it was yeah, built. So, yeah, it's got that very... It sort like, of went up quickly, didn't it? It did, and it's got that very concrete feel to have something like this yeah. hidden away in the corner. No, it's, it's um, And it, it's a, a beautiful place of a beautiful community of people. Like, no, no one works here in right. this place. Everyone here is a volunteer, including myself, when I do stuff here. Um, we just do it for the, the love of theatre, and we've, we've built this place as a theatre all of her own blood sweat and tears like nice. no funding yeah. at all I think do you know what I think the things that you volunteer for nine times out of ten are the things you put the most into mm-hmm. like if you're volunteering for it it's out of love it's not out of anything else no. is it no like I used to have like an Instagram family blog when my children were smaller and I always I'm always a bit you know like you could deliver here and then I'm a bit like I need to take it up a notch anyway but I would find, so I, people would be expect this and then I would give this. But then if it was something I was doing for free, mm-hmm. I'd be like, yes, like, yeah. all the way up Because it's your passion, it's your and love, And I would it? just, yeah, because if you're going to do it for free, it's something that you, mm-hmm. you're you really invested in on like a different kind of personal level yeah. than just, just a job. So it's and, well, nice, and, I love and that. It's strange saying about the job as well, because for me, that transformed then into a job. Yeah. It transformed into career different career paths and meeting different types of people and so many things opened. Fabulous podcast. And a, and a, and a podcast <laughs> has, has come from, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to have access to this space where I can have some chairs. and They're nice chairs. Yeah. I like them. Comfy. I see them They're as storytelling cozy, chairs. Yeah. Aren't they, they are. Like, yeah. I feel like if I was little and I had a grandpa, mm-hmm. he would sit in the story and I would sit on his lap and he would tell me stories. Well, this is your story today. This is This is about, this is about you today. To Thank you. So this is, this is Louise's story. I wanted to find out about you. I saw, I saw your Instagram. Uh, I saw your stuff that you're doing on there. You're such a creative person. You're, you're spreading such, uh, such, you sp- send a lot of vibes out there into the world of creativity and, and positivity. I definitely as try. Well. I think, I think you um, 
go through phases in life, I suppose, don't you, where for a long time positivity is kind of trying to get a handle on and pretending that you don't hurt. And then I think actually you get to a point as you get older, especially where you're like, I have to go and challenge some of these things in my life and I have to get to grips with them. And actually the most positive thing I can do is acknowledge mm-hmm. that it's, there's a lot of negative and I can take that and I can build with it mm. and I can turn it into something else. And the positivity actually was born from probably the most painful life experience, which is which is kind of beautiful in its own paradoxical way. It is, isn't it? It kind of says that we don't have to live in a bad space. We yeah, don't have to spend so entirety there. Yeah, and it's so more than what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Even when it, even when, even now. I mean, I think there's a lot of ways from the outside. Life looks not great, but you can, you get to frame your own narrative, don't you? Once you, the only thing you control really is your own mind yeah. and your own narrative. And if you can actually adjust the way that you think about it and the way that you see it and your perspective, then it can be whatever you want it to be. Mm-hmm. It's very inspiring what you do. And I want to put a pin in what some of the things that you've said there and come back to that. I've got my no- I don't normally get out my notebook, Ooh. but I looked on your looking on your Instagram <laughs> and okay. I was thinking, how does how does Louise, Louise describe herself? She's a writer, yes. artist, radio presenter, yes. photographer, and enigma. Enigma. <laughs> <laughs> that that was like the to bit. Throw people <laughs> off. Like, yeah. I don't want to just be like too regular about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So where did this can we go back to where this this creative, inspiring path that you're on at the moment, where did that kind of start for you? Well, that's a good question, isn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, you could argue, oh, I've always been creative or I've always been this, whatever. And those things are true. But I think where I'm at now started when, so my youngest son is six and a half-ish now. Um, so He'd probably say six and three quarters. I mean, yeah, it's, that's it's, it's, the, the months are important. At that <laughs> they time. are, aren't like, they? Yeah. Right now, I'm only 37, not basically for, like 38. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, you yeah. kind of skew it whichever it's, it's, way. It's funny bits, isn't it? I'm 39. I keep rounding up. Oh, I'm 40. I keep like I keep I, I keep rounding up like when it's a round number. Mm. So when I was like going to be 35 I kept saying oh, I'm 35 and I was be like no I'm not 35 I think yeah. it's just mathematically you get used to rounding the numbers out and I keep yeah. thinking now at 37 like well, I'm basically 40 and I'm like no it's still no, a no, while off like yeah, it's yeah. not so much can happen between I now and then I can do anything in two and a couple of months yeah, yeah. and even <laughs> and even then I don't know is is it over at 40 no it's beginning. <laughs> I hope it's not <laughs> no it better not be goodness me <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think it the only way is up we, yeah. we're gonna I think as well I think if you actually make it and all of the things that you've spent up to 40 trying to I think you have like a whole different capacity for it as you get older and actually you couldn't pay me to be young again I am very excited to be getting older even if it does involve some surreptitious sort of plucking of grey hairs that <laughs> is getting more that come often. That come along the way, yeah. <laughs> it used to be every now and then. Now most days I'm like, dang, there's another one. <laughs> so um, back to the actual question <laughs> that you asked. <laughs> and not my greying hair. I um, My son was probably maybe literally just like two or three months old. I think I'd just put him in his own room and I'd had to move him into his own room early. My husband at the time was abusive he was drinking a lot as well and so where I'd co-slept I'd had two kids very close together um like under two years not like I mean there are people that do it in a year and I don't know how like props to them I don't know how Mm -hmm. they're still functioning but two two just under two years and I was still getting up in the night with the my daughter and so I was like I cannot 
I cannot, by the time I get back in bed from dealing with her, I'm going to be getting up again with the baby. So I co-slept with him. But uh, my husband began drinking more heavily while I was pregnant. And so then I was not sleeping at all because I was kind of positioning myself in the middle of the bed instead of the baby in the middle of the bed. So then I'd have to stay awake all night trying to make sure the baby didn't get rolled on by my husband. Mm -hmm. And it was getting a bit much. Sounds like a really tough time. It was. I mean, you Mm -hmm. just I don't think you even have time at the time. I didn't know it was tough. I just Mm -hmm. it's minute by minute and you just kind of handle it. And this is what I can do. And this is what I'm going to handle. And this is this needs to happen. And this needs to happen. And this needs to happen. And you just are so busy surviving that you don't necessarily like process I think Mm -hmm. it was much later after I left him and then had the very messy year with him and after all of that then I suddenly was like oh my goodness like this was a lot and you finally have time to sort of decompress and then Mm -hmm. you get a little bit of time off and then your brain decides to start healing and that's when your PTSD kicks in because it's like I think I'll let you remember some things now and that's a whole other thing but it was one evening that I was I put the kids to bed and I had found this blog online and this woman, she essentially kind of made like a 12 steps program, but for people living with people with addiction. Mm-hmm. And at this point I was only focused on his drinking. My dad used to drink a lot, still drinks a lot. My stepmom is an alcoholic. So you were, My grandfather would, would you was say you're quite familiar with that then that you so, kind of. Not intentionally, mm-hmm. but I, I think I was a bit shocked to have become that statistic. You know, like I knew children of alcoholics marry alcoholics because you it's what's survivable to you. Mm-hmm. But to, and I, I kept kind of coming back to it. Like he didn't really drink when we were first dating. But then very quickly I realized everything about who he was when we were dating wasn't the truth. And it, it all unraveled very quickly. But I was in it. I got pregnant by accident far too soon mm-hmm. when we were very first dating. And, you know, things just kind of built up and then began to unravel very quickly and by then I just felt trapped and there wasn't a lot it was it was just day by day survive it so I was down the side of my bed reading this woman's kind of program and then I'd I'd read it and I'd kind of go through the steps in the evening and be like okay well I've got the kids and they're out of the way and they're safe and I need to I started taking a lot of very long baths in the evening she was like if you can find a way that's acceptable to your partner to just not be in that environment so that Mm -hmm. you're not encouraging their behavior then take yourself away from it and so the only thing I could really find that was acceptable to him for me to not be with him was I need to get a bath so I just started taking like a lot of like two hour baths in the evening mm-hmm. and then then I'd have you to needed your, you needed some again. space I did and it mm-hmm. was just it was the one of the steps in the thing was just very clear about like don't you know you can't be saying I'm not comfortable with this environment and then perpetuating it it was about not enabling um stop giving them money stop doing this stop doing that don't sit there then and enjoy a nice time with them while they're drinking too much because that's perpetuating the problem so I tried to take myself away from it Mm -hmm. and yeah so I was and I'd gotten out of the bath and I was reading this woman's like her actual story like not just the not just the program that she'd put together I'd found a blog post that she'd written and there was this little bible verse in it and it was I'm gonna get it wrong now it was Genesis 52 20, I want to No say. one's going to test you on that. Someone is. Someone, <laughs> there are like keyboard warriors right now as they're watching and they're like, mm, I will find it, it is wrong. Like, but, and it said, um, like, you intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good. What is now being done, the saving of many lives. And at that point, I read it and something in my heart just kind of simultaneously broke and leapt for joy. And I just 
felt like there is hope in what I am sitting through right now. Yes, I am down the side of my bed, hiding, reading a woman's blog. I'm not allowed to be reading. Praying my husband doesn't come upstairs, doesn't find me before I'm asleep or at least pretending to be asleep. Mm. And I feel like a child and I'm like 30 years old. But in that moment, it felt like this can be turned around, this can. And it was a few months before I left him. And then there was a whole very messy stretch for a year after that. But I think that's the moment where for me, what is we're now seeing in my work, in my Instagram and what I share Mm-hmm. That's. I think that was the spark that began to ignite. It was that moment where I thought something in this isn't about me. It can be taken. It can be used. There are millions of women, especially mm-hmm. men as well. Like abuses, one in six men mm-hmm. across the world that are maybe not hiding down the side of the bed, but metaphorically in this exact same position as I am. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I it's so important them, yeah, to share. Exactly that. Mm. Brené Brown says that when we share our stories, shame loses its grip of us. And I think I just, I felt like I was born ashamed and I was so like determined. I am not going to die that way. Mm-hmm. I am going to do whatever it takes, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how deep an excavation of my own soul I have to go through to figure out all of these things and unpack it and turn it into something that means something Mm -hmm. and that helps people to feel less alone. I don't, I'm not naive enough to think I can stop anybody else's pain, heal anybody else's pain, prevent anybody else's pain. But if they can be where I am and know that they are not alone in it, that's, that's all I need. Mm. Well, look at what that blog did for you. Right. You discovered exactly that, that. You, you discovered that blog and it, it changed your life in that moment, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely did. What would you, what would you have done? How would things be if you hadn't have discovered that blog, that inspiration? Have you ever reached out to that person since? I guess no, you probably don't even, even know where to find it. No, do you? I don't. No. It was one no. of those divine things that I just mm-hmm. found and I'd had, I'd printed it out. I was so nervous that he would find it. And he used to, for a while, we conveniently shared a mobile phone. So he would share my mobile phone. So I couldn't keep anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I'd like printed it quickly on a scrap of paper. And I had it literally under my mattress, like a naughty schoolboy. Like, do you know what I mean? (laughs) And I just, but there was whatever was written on the bottom of it. Mm -hmm. I went back and I found the blog with the woman's name and read her story. But yeah, like if she hadn't shared her story, if she hadn't been brave enough. And especially, and I think she was in like a church circle. I think it's very hard I mean, there are obviously like church has a beautiful place in society. But when we look at church as kind of a wider institution, mm-hmm. we're used to feeling very cliquey, very judged, very like, no, I can't tell anybody this or whatever. So I think it took a lot of bravery as well for her to be like, actually, mm-hmm. I'm in this very traditional setting with this very traditional community that she was in and for her to speak out and say actually my life is not what you think it is it hurts and it's wrong Mm -hmm. and I need to do something about it it took immeasurable bravery from her and I am very very grateful for that Mm -hmm. and now you're echoing what she did aren't you butterfly effect I guess yeah yeah. maybe you know if somebody will see what I've done and they'll Mm -hmm. read what I've done and they'll go hey do you know what if she can help me I can help someone else Mm -hmm. and that's that's all we can do is try to pay it forward so in this time, were you able to express yourself in any way or was you very suppressed? I was lost there... all of mm. that part of me. I'd, this was my like second marriage. It was very brief, this one. I'd been married. I got married when I was 21. I don't mm. really know myself at all then. I think I just know. And I think for him as well, I think we both felt lost. And like if we could just kind of build this thing together that looked like how we felt like life was supposed to look, we'd feel a little mm. bit less like we were drowning in it, which was 
naive and evidently, obviously, some might say, did not go well. Um, and I first started writing and I put some like little, I started reading, you know, like quotes and stuff on Pinterest. And there were these poets that was like Christopher Poindexter and Tyler Knott Gregson. And I would read their poetry and I'd be like, oh, they like talk how I think. Mm. And I was like, this was a revelation for me. And so I, I wrote some little like just poems, really like short micro poems. I think I wrote about 40 of them. I was driving down to Devon to visit my friend and I kept pulling the car over. I went the back way, you know, where you go past Stonehenge instead of down yes, the motorway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know so it was a quiet yeah. journey. Like, mm-hmm. And so I kept pulling my car over and I still have it. I found it years later. It was like the inside of a bank statement envelope, mm-hmm. you know, with all the blue squiggly lines on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all these little like one, and they're all numbered, these little like micro poems. And mm. I put a bunch of them up on Pinterest. And then very soon after that, I started dating who became my second husband and then entered the that very quickly was very controlled. Very, I wasn't allowed to wear what I used to wear. I wasn't allowed to do certain things. I had to cover up my tattoos if I was going, play, you know, like, mm-hmm. and so I just lost kind of. Lost yourself. Completely. And mm-hmm. that, I think my creativity and my self-expression was probably the first thing to go. It was then, well, how do I build his dreams? How do I, you know, help with this? And I was very good at that. Mm-hmm. Like I, I really do wife very well <laughs> like but you um, care it says you're caring yeah yeah I think and I genuinely I do genuinely find that it's an honor to build something that somebody believes in to be a part of somebody else's dream mm-hmm. is an honor but you have to be careful that somebody else isn't going to take advantage of that and it's about building the right people's dreams and also having them be willing to invest in yours that has to be like a mutual thing mm-hmm. that I think can be very easily lost for a lot of people when you begin to support another human being yeah Um, so my next question was going to be how do we protect that moving forward how do we how do we take what you boundaries are yeah i think one the hardest thing to learn especially when you've grown up not really with an understanding of i'm allowed to say no i'm allowed to feel things i'm allowed to need things and when you have to learn that as an adult it takes some time Mm. like it's i started in like a really really silly almost but it worked so not that silly but it felt very silly at the time and I had to kind of learn that I was worth something so and I would literally and I would just sit in front of the mirror and I was like right I just need to tell myself three things I like about myself and I couldn't even do it on like a personal level like right now you could ask me what I like about myself and I'll be like well like buckle up because I'm (laughs) fabulous do you know what I mean and I could list things I've learned things that I am good at strengths that I have and also weaknesses that I have like I'm not completely deluded about it but I do know what I'm good at now was at the time I had to sit there and the place I started from was I like my shoulders that's all I had yeah it's a start but once you can mm-hmm. do one, then you can do two, then you can do three. And once you can say three things that you like about yourself, when you look at yourself, then you can start to say, well, what about who I am? Mm-hmm. What about actually, all right, this is a mess and I hurt like hell, but I am here and I am surviving and I must be resilient. And if I'm resilient, maybe I'm also hopeful. And maybe if I'm hopeful, I'm also strong. And maybe if I'm strong, I'm also brave. And these things... You know, they build until eventually you're not just telling yourself in the mirror. You actually believe it in the core of who you are. I have overcome things. I am strong. I am resilient. I am brave. I am hopeful. And hopeful is the the bravest part that you can be, I think, because hope is complex, isn't it? It's a double-edged sword. It is. You absolutely need it. And it absolutely hurts. 
most of the time because you don't hope for what you have. You hope for what you've never had, what you long for, what you're missing. And so there's a, you have to hope for it because you know if you stop hoping for it, then you stop believing it's possible. And then Mm -hmm. what have you got to keep you going? But also it makes you acutely aware of, I've not experienced this in my life right now. The truth is if I were to die tomorrow, I would never know what love felt like because that's not been my life. I absolutely have to believe that one day I will know that, I will experience that, I will meet somebody and he will have the capacity or I will have the capacity, we will both have the capacity for each other, Mm. for each other's pain and trauma. And like once you get to this age, it's never going to be uncomplicated, is it? You know, like and I have PTSD and I have... I've sort of, you know, I've written a blog on like dating with CPTSD, but again, you have to unpack that further. And actually, and this is the joy of counseling, isn't it? Is how deeply you get to examine your childhood. And actually, the way that your brain is wired and the way that it's formed and the time in which you develop your attachment style and all of these things, these things happen before you're even a year old. Mm -hmm. So they are so deeply wired in you. But one day, I will A, simultaneously become less all or nothing because I will adjust to the possibility that life doesn't need that to survive. Mm -hmm. And simultaneously, somebody else will have the capacity to cope with the fact that I am right now all or nothing, but that I am learning, I am growing, I am trying. You know, it's, and I have to believe that that's possible, although the evidence for it is not (laughs) currently very strong. Why is that? (laughs) It's just, there has not been... Just, any. just in, ju- just as we're moving forward into those next yeah, phases, just yeah. As you mm-hmm. and the trouble with anything, especially when it comes to like your romantic history being complicated, is that for all of the counselling that you do, for all of the talking that you do, it gets easier as you share it and you talk mm-hmm. about it. But there's a lot of things that they just don't come up. You don't remember them. You're not going to be triggered by them. You're not going to have to face them until you're in a situation that makes you, and you don't get to control that. No. no. So it's. I, I think of it. I think of these things a bit. Recently, I started thinking of every, everything like this. I got some similar things to you that that resonate with me, mm-hmm. and I think of it as like the foundations of you building something, and your, the early days of your life are like you're building the foundations of your house. And you're putting down the cement. You're putting down the mud, mm-hmm. the grit. But then as you're getting older, you're starting to put some bricks there. But if some of that like cement is a bit dodgy, yeah, then bit some of the house is going to... And it's crumbly now. And it's starting to crumble down yeah. in one area. Then you've got to re-go back. You've got to go back. You've got to dig it out yeah, as well. You, you can't just pour a bit more on top of it. Or put another brick there because like, it will still oh. fall, it will fall under again. Mm-hmm. Um and I, and I kind of got this. I don't know. I don't know if I heard that on a podcast because I listen to a lot of podcasts. Same. Myself. Love but, the and, TED talk as well. Yeah, and it, yeah, TED talks. I don't know where I got that from, but recently I'm kind of like I'm picking out that metaphor with everything. And um, no, it's it is really important that you share this and you keep talking about this so that you can find that way to to move forward. So, if you was to be able to reach someone right now that's going through something similar to what what you've described. What is the the first thing that they do when they come out of that situation? If they've already come out of it or if they ha- like if they haven't come out of it yet, I would say like don't rush that. I just I snapped one day. Mm-hmm. I was very melodramatic. I wrote the time and date down on a little piece of paper and I slapped it down on the table. We were like snowed in. There was mm-hmm. two days he didn't go to work. It was not quite lunchtime. We had three children so I had one son already from my first marriage who would have been seven then I had an almost two-year-old and a newborn 
and everybody wanted something. I was trying to feed the baby at him and like one hand shoved up my jumper, trying to prepare lunch for the other two and for my husband. And my hands were full and everyone, when is it ready? And what, you know, my kids just need things all the time of and course, they were all yeah. at me. And he just sat down and cracked a beer. And I was like, you could help. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you consistently sit there and say how much you love people and then you don't do anything when you can see them struggling like this? And this was the thing that I think I constantly struggled with is the lack of matching between actions and words in our relationship. And I snapped. And I'm sometimes grateful for that. Like it wasn't, it's not smart when you're in an abusive relationship, but that little bit of like fire in me could never quite be extinguished. Mm-hmm. And I, I did, I snapped and it was naive and I wouldn't recommend it, but I slapped this piece of paper and I said, I'm calling it time of death, <laughs> like whatever it was. And I was melodramatic about it. it was yeah. really, and then we were stuck together for another day in the house before he could even go to work. And it was a while. But it, you you forced the situation because there is yeah. something in being stuck in this limbo. It's really, it's really another difficult. another day. You can always leave something till tomorrow. You can, mm. and especially when you're used to surviving. Especially, you know, like it used to be. Oh, it's fight or flight, and it's not. It's fight, flight, freeze, fawn, flop. And for most of us, it's fawn. We're going to make you our friend because if you're my friend, you won't hurt me. And so you're so embedded in this pattern of, I can please you. And I will be safe. I w- and you just, it's just habit. And it's trauma bonding as well. Like that's really mm. important is that people understand that trauma bonding is an addiction. It does the same thing in your body as any kind of alcohol or drug dependency. Like, so when it's, when it's great, you get this high and then you get this low. But also when it's gone, even though it was horrible, you need it back again. And you have to break that the same as you. And that's really, really hard. And a lot of people judge for how people go back. I spent the next year, despite having left him, trying to do anything I could to please him and make it better Mm -hmm. because of this trauma bonding. And that took a long time to break. What's funny, not funny, but kind of funny in an ironic sense is the thing that surprised me most is actually one of the really basic ways that you can begin to break that is to drink more water. Okay. Which is, seems nuts, right? Mm -hmm. And I, but I learned this like, and I was like, well, that I can do. And I think because it feels so overwhelming to think, well, I just have to cold turkey, never have this, never do this. But when you're in that situation, your hormones are in this overproductive kind of state. So where you should release one chemical and then it should hit the next kind of gland down and activate that one, which should shut the next one off and things should be in balance. When you have this constant overproduction of adrenaline, of cortisol, of epinephrine and all of the like stress, panic, survival hormones, they Mm. just keep flooding your body over and over again and it's just compounding itself and making it worse and actually the very simple way that I started to do that was to go actually I have learned if I drink more water I can help my body to flush and reset its own chemical imbalance Mm -hmm. and then once I've got a control on the physical side of it then I'll attempt to emotionally mentally unpack figure out heal from okay but yeah so I'm 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 aware that if ever if ever, if I've got any questions, by the way, that are insensitive or oh, no, it, it'd be completely like shut, <laughs> shut me down and tell me that that because because I'm, sure I'm coming from a very unexperienced place with this. So um, yeah, tell me if I'm if no, if, no. I, if if it's not anything you want to talk about or if we're going down places. I'm really grateful for you sharing, but what I think when you're in a situation like that, do you start? rationalizing lots of excuses 
Yes, immediately. Mm. Like very early on, the first time that he like he didn't he wasn't physically abusive. That wasn't like the main thing that he would do. Mostly it was it was predominantly emotional, financial, sexual abuse. There were times when it was physically abusive. Mm. And the first time was right after he moved in. So I lived with my dad. Um when I was married the first time I lived in Northern Ireland and the recession hit very, very hard over there. So we'd moved over here and we were staying with my dad while we looked for work. And well, my husband, at that, my first husband is complicated when you've had this many. You, just, you can't just say my husband. I feel like I have to, you have to number them. clarifying. I've really overachieved in certain areas. <laughs> like, um, so he came over here to work for my dad, whose main guy had gone off sick. Mm-hmm. And while we were looking for things, whatever our relationship, I think me being home actually meant I was, I had maybe a little bit more confidence to say, this isn't working actually. Now that I look at it, I thought, you know, when I was in Ireland, I was like, maybe it's just that it, we're not in the right place or that this isn't that or whatever. It's because I don't really have anybody, mm-hmm. but actually the problems were all still there when I was back here and I, I had all of my people. So then we, that didn't work out, but we were staying with my dad. So then I stayed, I still live with my dad, my poor dad. (laughs) I moved in temporarily with one small child. Now there's three of them and I ain't gone nowhere, (laughs) but that is what it is. I'll take care of him one day. Mm. I bet he appreciates it. I bet he, I bet, does he, does he like you? I bet he likes you being there. (laughs) I think it's, it swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Like it's noisy and it's messy Mm -hmm. and he always says, like, when we move out, he'll have maybe two weeks where he goes, oh, it's so calm and quiet and clean. <laughs> and then after that, he'll have a panic attack and be like, why is it so quiet and calm and <laughs> clean? Where back. are all the people? Can I come live with you? Like, <laughs> I think as well, where, like, he wasn't really in my life when I was young. Mm-hmm. There has been an aspect of him being there for my children that I think has actually been very healing for all of us. It's almost like getting a do-over. Mm-hmm. Like, as much as it's difficult for my pride that I can't provide them with all of the things that I feel like I should and that my dad has had to do it. Mm. Actually, then I think for him, it has been very restorative of the fact that he wasn't there to do it when I was a child and that, you know, he is my my youngest son, especially. He would be like, you know, if they have to make a Father's Day card in school or whatever, he'd like, he straight up refused. He'd be like, no, but I'll make one for granddad. You know, like, and so there's there's been some really beautiful things that have come from it, mm-hmm. and I am grateful for it. As yeah, there, as it, it does sound like way. there is beautiful things in healing, isn't there? And there are. It's full and there's the echo in it. Yeah, there's this echo in effect that goes on, isn't there? I think so many things come round full circle, and it's funny when you see them, and you because you didn't realize beforehand, and then you look at them, and then it makes you wonder about some of the bigger things in life when you see it in a small thing, like I went. I don't do the Instagram stuff and all of that anymore in terms of like the family blog. Mm-hmm. But I went to a, it was like a, the, it was the DVD release, I think, of Mrs. Lowry and Son, I think it was called, something like that. It was, okay. it was a film about the life of Ellis Lowry and they brought it out. It was a British film, independent film. And when they were bringing it out, they invited me to an art class that was run by the guy who'd done all of the paintings for the film. And it's funny in terms of creativity, actually, because and then literally like a couple of weeks later, my mum was clearing out her loft and she found this picture that I'd done in primary school mm-hmm. of uh, Ellis Lowry's Matchstick Men. Oh, wow. And it was so like, there was a good connection, I had yeah. no idea. But mm-hmm. it was, and then I remembered doing it in the class and it was that teacher that I had then that first recognized the sort of creativity in me. Mm-hmm. And 
he took me out. I went out and I had extra art lessons instead of doing some of the other stuff in class. And I got to paint like the school wall and all of this like stuff. And I completely forgotten about all of it. And then mm -hmm. I was like, how funny that that's come all the way around so many years later in this moment. And then you sort of start to wonder how much else in life. Mm. Some of the things that we look on, we're boggled by and we just think what is that and it doesn't make any sense and then I sometimes I try to allow space for well when I get five months past it six months past it a year past it am I going to look back at it and then see something from before and go actually I needed that mm -hmm. and I just had no idea at the time it's hard to see it when you're in it yes yeah, but I do believe it it and has a way yeah and when you're when you're in it it can be really tough and I, I had a thing recently of 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 losing a couple of friends mm -hmm. and decide and that was a, a bit of a tough time yeah that's and decide yeah excruciating but then when you look back on that you go that was really really important for me mm -hmm. like when you look at the, how the situations moved on yeah. you go that was something that that I needed to have complete separation from because mm -hmm. otherwise other things would have happened to me but you can't see that at the time you no. can't see the positive at that time can you when it's dark and when no. it's not good when you just miss them and you have to grieve the loss even when it's something that you need to lose I think you still too often we're like well no I can't grieve that as a loss because it was terrible and it had to go but it's it's, it's deeper than that and mm -hmm. a lot of the time it's you have to grieve what it should have been or what you were told it was going to be or what you believed it could be whatever that is, it's a dream, it's a hope. Mm -hmm. It's the idea, especially when it's a friend or it's a relationship. Because if, you, I mean, like a friend, my friends are like my family, do you know what I mean? Definitely, like yeah. My best friend. They're your tribe. Like she feels like home mm -hmm. to me. Like, so when it's not that, but you thought it was, you know, like there's a loss. And even if it's a good loss, it's still, you can still hurt over it. Mm -hmm. And I think too often we don't allow ourselves to hurt over things because we think we shouldn't instead of acknowledging that actually we do and we need to we need to grieve yeah 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 i'm just i'm just taking a moment because i'm taking so much <laughs> from this it's 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 amazing sitting down and and having these conversations and and talking to someone that's had had this journey and you've 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 come out on the other side of it uh, it's like it's like you've you've found this way to to almost like have a rebirth trying do you know what's mm -hmm. funny i'm gonna get a phoenix tattoo wow on this arm that is my plan yeah that's I, uh, that's I what need tattoo money <laughs> that's yeah that's what do you know what that's exactly what you're what you're resonating the phoenix mm -hmm. I you're think resonating the thing with that. it is as well as we have this oh a phoenix you know like how beautiful mm. it gets reborn but actually it burns as well yes and yeah. it's the acknowledging that it is not comfortable or pain-free to burn, mm -hmm. but something really beautiful, beautiful comes can come from out it. of it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So yeah, so the the phoenix the phoenix is rising. But so I want to get to how creativity, how your writing, how your poetry, how your artistry, how that's propelled you forward. I think, if nothing else, at its most basic form, having. Being able to write it out, like I'm not, I can't journal, like a lot of people journal. And I think it takes actually a huge amount of bravery mm -hmm. to journal and to put all your innermost thoughts and feelings kind of roughly in the moment down on a piece of paper. And it's, it's widely acknowledged how incredibly powerful and how incredibly healing this is. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. It's too vulnerable. Like, and I think that that's true for a lot of people and we're very used to I think in western society especially like holding it all in we, we bury things that is 
that is quite common, especially for men, men more so actually, are you can't do this, you can't feel this, you can't be this, you have to just be strong and brave and tough and emotionless and all of the things and we bury. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a long, long time. Right, like I, especially that, when it's your survival set and your default is just to crack on and do the next thing and mm-hmm. that's how you survive. I would say 30, up until from 20 yeah. to 35, that's, that's what I did. Just bury. Just buried it and uh, I had children quite young as well, uh, 21. Uh, mm-hmm. it's got two teenagers now, 18 and 15. Nice. And to to raise them up, I had this preconception that I couldn't be weak. Yeah. That, you know, I, there was, there were good times in there and, and things like that. And then they are wonderful kids. Um, but yeah, I, I suppressed any bad things down mm-hmm. and just, just pushed it pushed it pushed right. it down very very normal yeah. especially in the in the culture that we live because in. yeah because i was a, the man you so know i felt that's what i had to do of just writing mm. all of those things down on a piece of paper where anybody could pick up that book and find it like that's terrifying yeah yeah but i think if you can take that down and make it smaller and more manageable and you can write it with metaphor it makes it more accessible in some ways so like i have a workbook on my website where you can um, it's just like a free download, but it's, it's called Processing Your... I was called, Originally, it was called Processing Your Trauma Through Poetry. I think I just made it more generic and made like healing mm-hmm. through poetry or whatever. But essentially, the idea is... And I have spaces like in my books. Every now and then, there'll just be like a note page and there'll be like a, a word and a definition and there'll be like a writing prompt. And the idea is that I think especially for me, as I read poetry, when you read a poetry book, you tend to like... It's bite-sized pieces, but you often devour it. You can read that in like two hours mm-hmm. on a bus ride, on a train ride, whatever it is that you're doing. But the whole point of poetry is that it makes you feel something. And nine times out of ten, it makes you feel something painful or hopeful. But then that hopeful thing can spiral into a wall. Why am I hoping for this? It's because I don't have it. And that hurts. And it can feel like a lot. And it's like on top of you. And I think if you can take that and just put it in front of you so you can look at it rather than feel underneath it. Mm-hmm. then you can, it changes your perspective a little bit. And it's a minus, it's a really tiny little perspective change. But if you can be in the habit and you can learn to write that way, then that can be incredibly powerful for you unlocking the way that you feel about things. And so I have these kind of challenges in there. So, But it'll be just like, and when I've run a workshop this way, I don't expect somebody to come into a poetry workshop and just put all of their trauma out there so all we do is say this is your prompt word it might be bird just write me a sentence about a bird mm-hmm. doesn't matter how regular a boring sentence that is all i want you to do is write me a sentence about a bird so you sit there and they'll be like i can see a bird in my garden that's a sentence about a bird okay well now write that sentence again but include and there's different ways you can take it include metaphor include feeling include a thought include an adjective it depends on like your group or whatever but so then they might take I'm sitting in my garden and I can see a bird to um I can see a bird and I can't help but wonder if it feels free and to put some kind of and if you can get into a habit of writing about something that way and to unpacking it and then you can make it bigger again and then the last challenge is actually can you make it smaller again because writing a micro poem is more challenging than writing a mid-sized poem because you have to you have to like delete all of these things out of it that to make this like one like really powerful punch there's a quote somewhere and it says something like 
I'm sorry, I wrote you such a long letter. I didn't have time to write a short one. <laughs> and it's, it's that like it actually takes a lot more. And so it's but it's if you can cultivate writing about normal things in this way mm-hmm. and just kind of to practice it, then you can begin to use it and you can begin to say, well, actually, why was my thought about that bird? I wonder if it's free. Is it because I feel trapped? Is that why my, that's where my brain took it? And then, well, what if I think about that? What is it in my life that's making me feel trapped? Is it a relationship? Is it my circumstances? Is it this like day-to-day just trying to put enough food on the table, trying to survive cost of living crisis, constant tearing in all directions that makes me feel like I'm not enough? And you can begin to, but if you can look at that on front, in front of you on a page instead of just having it all in your mind and weighing you down mm-hmm. it it loses a little bit of its power of you and it feels a little bit more like you can get a handle on it and for me I've found I've written some incredibly personal private vulnerable things in poems that I absolutely could not have written in a journal mm-hmm. this is what happened this is how he did this I, you know but essentially I'm still processing those same moments those same feelings those same emotions but in a way that feels safer to me and if it feels safer to me then I got odds that Mm -hmm. there are going to be other people out there that if they can learn to write this way then that's going to feel safer to them as well and maybe one day I'll be able to journal Mm. and maybe they will too maybe we won't have to yeah maybe you won't have to it sounds to me like you've found the thing that works for you that's exactly it It, you just have to I think we've all got different I think our brains work in different ways I don't think there's one way of thinking one way the neurons all connect it's all going to be very different isn't it for all of us literally maybe it was like yesterday I think it's something like when you're an adult, you develop something like 700 neurons per day. Whereas when you are an infant, you're developing as many as, I think it's like 20,000 per second. Wow. So when you think about if your life is hard mm-hmm. when you're a baby and all of the neurons in your brain are developing at that rate, how much is being put into you that needs to be unpacked, that needs to be rewired, that yeah. needs to be like so through, an incredible so we're re- amount. We're re- through the poetry you're rewriting the neurons. Literally, like taking a situation. And I think as well, if it's painful, but you can make it beautiful in its own way. (laughs) I don't know, like, and and everybody's different. Like, this is what I do is absolutely not for everybody, but it Mm. will be for some people. And I think I want those people to know that it's an option for them, that it's helped me, that it's a way that helps me to feel, I think less weighed down is the is the best way I can kind of describe it. I, I wouldn't say I felt freer. I may be a little. Mm. I don't think. You come, you come across as free. You well, come across as free here I'm and now to, talking about that, uh, talking Part about your journey. Practice, I think, isn't it? The more you yeah. you discuss the things, the more you're honest about the things, mm-hmm. the easier they the are. The easier it gets and for you. And the less of a yeah. hold they have over you because mm-hmm. you're not ashamed of them anymore. Because if I'm helping somebody, that's not shameful. If I'm hiding that is shame that feels shameful and so then it's making that switch within myself actually because I'm not hiding it anymore it allows me to be free even though mm-hmm. it's difficult even though it's not what I would wish so you you mentioned uh Brie Brown Brownie Brown yes. Brownie Brown sorry I I'm terrible oh with goodness. pronunciations but you <laughs> mentioned her and she's a great advocate for for this mm-hmm. stuff is there anyone else that you've that you've come across along the way that's been that that you've found an inspiration 
there are like so, so many books mm. that I have loved. And some of them, I will say, are very much above my intellectual pay grade. But in terms of, especially if you have trauma. What do you mean by that? Sorry, but like <laughs> above your intellectual pay grade. Right? Not even, you? not that I'm not smart. Like I actually yeah, am no, yeah. a very intelligent mm-hmm. human being. But things like somebody like Peter Levine, who's a psychologist, who will write papers that are published. Mm-hmm. A lot of that from a learning perspective is just straight over my head. But when you get to the parts in that, especially I listen to them as audiobooks, I don't think I could sit down and just read that amount of like mm-hmm. scientific information. But when you get to the parts where the case studies are and you hear how somebody else, you know, like this, and then you kind of go, oh my goodness, that's incredible. And it's not even about anything I've been through or whatever, but actually it's demonstrating that traumatic memory can be registered in your human brain as far back as the second trimester of pregnancy. So, and you learn things like that and then that blows your mind. And then you, but that has nothing to do with me. This, this was about a baby with a traumatic birth experience, this particular one that I'm thinking of and how he helped him to kind of complete something that was missing because he'd had this traumatic birth experience and it completely changed his life physically. The baby had like, really intense reflux and the doctors kept prescribing things and then they wanted to give him surgery and as like a in like a desperate bid his mother took him to this psychologist um and he he talked about the birth experience or whatever and he said and eventually he kind of determined that what's happening with these spasms that he's having is the acid reflux is a result of these spasms that he's having not the other way around and what he's doing is he's pushing his legs in a way, in the same way that he did during birth, but during birth, it caused the cord to wrap around his neck. And so all he's trying to do is complete something that should have happened. Mm. And he, as a psychologist, took him through this and allowed him to complete those motions. And instead of telling him, no, don't do that, you're causing yourself stomach problems, you told him, good boy, you're doing really, really good, yes. And when he would push him away, he would tell him, good boy, you're setting boundaries, keep pushing. And literally within like two sessions, this baby suddenly, almost like a newborn, turned around and nuzzled into his mother in a way that he had never done. The acid reflux stopped, all of these things. And this is this is tracing memory back so, so far before we're even aware that it could possibly affect us, but it's built in there. Mm-hmm. And that's, so those kind of things, I absolutely, I love all of those things, although I don't fully understand all of them. But when you're listening well, that was you're what I was people's gonna... stories like that, I was going to ask, what what have you what have you what is your takeaway from this? I think it's one. I think if you're like, well, if that's in that very practical situation, and then I can look at my life and say, well, actually, while my mum was pregnant, her life was very traumatic, and maybe I can allow myself just a little grace for the fact that trauma changes your DNA. Forgiveness, right? Like, yeah. I think we always it's important to have grace and grit, isn't it? And I think sometimes we get so caught up in the grit that we forget to allow ourselves grace. And there's so much of it that is outside of our control. It's not your fault, but it is your responsibility Hmm. to unpack and to heal from once you become an adult. So like my mom's life was incredibly traumatic. It was very difficult. Her whole life was traumatic. So if you're, and if trauma can change your DNA, then you give your trauma change DNA to your child. Like you're 
that's a cycle mm. and actually so these things i don't have a full grasp of them but i am learning and i find them fascinating and i absolutely love them so peter levine is one like that there's also a really fascinating book it's called the body keeps the score and that again is about when i first went to counseling my trauma my counselor she would say to me like when we were talking about traumatic memory or something she would say i see that's affected you where in your body can you feel it and i just think she's nuts like Mm -hmm. are we sure I should be like taking advice from this woman but actually there came a point where I realized if I'm talking about my sexual trauma I have like a stabbing pain in my kidneys and for a long time I couldn't sleep on my front I had chronic upper back and neck pain that I'd had on and off to a degree but that really like compounded itself during especially that that second marriage Mm -hmm. and then probably eight months into counseling I woke up one morning on my front and realized I'd woken up on my front every day for a week with no pain and that was psychological pain that wasn't muscle trauma that was emotional trauma that's stored and as you begin to release it and heal from it and understand it and unpack it like your brain is like a filing cabinet it doesn't go anywhere but once you understand it, you get to file it properly mm-hmm. instead of having it be this disorganized, messy desk where things can jump out at you and fall off the table at any given moment. And so once I began to do that, my body began to heal. And also there was one of the case studies in that. It was looking at like car crash victims and they, the ones that had had flashbacks and they put them in an MRI, uh, in an MRI machine and then tried to trigger and then did trigger a flashback. So they would describe the scene or whatever. And so they noticed what they weren't expecting is that the center of your brain that controls speech would go completely white and that it would just, it would just go offline. It would shut yeah. down in the MRI and stuff like that. So I mind, I remember I'd had an argument with a friend and all I desperately want, because this is, this is my sort of, previously codependent kind of you know I need to fix it I need to pick it all Mm -hmm. I desperately wanted was to have the conversation with him that meant I could fix it but he called me and all I can remember is I was like I felt like pinned against the bathroom wall and all I could say was I can't I just can't I can't I can't and it was almost like out of body Mm -hmm. but then and it made no sense because all I wanted to do was have the conversation you can't this literally, I just feel, and I physically, and I couldn't think even mm-hmm. what is happening. It wasn't even a conscious, I just couldn't have the conversation right then. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even like, I'm not emotionally capable. I physically couldn't. But then once you see this MRI thing and you're like, well, hang on a minute. When they're triggered, their, their ability, your whole brain's speech section shuts down. And then I'm like, well, this is why. Like I haven't been in a car accident, but I was triggered and I do Mm. have PTSD and my brain shut down. And this makes sense to me now. It's a very different situation. But because I've heard this person's story and the results of that person's story, it helps me to understand myself in a different way. And there's also another really good book. I mean, anything Brené Brown wrote, Mm -hmm. realistically, but also um, Oprah Winfrey wrote a book with a childhood trauma psychologist. And I can't remember his name, but it's called What Happened to You? So, and this is about the changes in mental health and help mental health practice, especially where they had this shift from not, no longer asking what's wrong with me. So what happened to you? The question mm. isn't what's wrong with you. All right. Maybe like when you, especially if you've like PTSD and you're triggered and there's a, a story they tell in it, like about a soldier 
and he's been back from like Vietnam for 30 years mm. and a motorbike backfired and he had just started dating somebody new and he said they were walking down the street they were arm in arm he really really was invested in this relationship like it was the first time in a long mm. time and he said and the next thing he knew he was on the floor between two cars mm -hmm. hands over head screaming I've, I've, se I've, I've seen it from a from an ex-soldier yeah. where I popped a sh champagne bottle on New Year's Eve and my friend who'd got back from Iraq two years ago on the ground. Yeah. Like in that back in that moment. Because your brain is adaptive and it's learned this is how you survive. And so your brain is like a like a pyramid mm -hmm. and your the cortex is like the top, the the thinking and all of the things. And then the basic things that are controlled by your brain, your your breathing, your digestive function and the things that aren't conscious are in the bottom. But when you have no link between the two because mm -hmm. this adaptive part of your brain the survival part of your brain has learned you dropped at the floor there isn't time for that information to go through the stages and get to your thinking oh that's a champagne that's, this is how i survive and this is mm -hmm. your body does what the bottom part of your brain tells it to do without letting it filter up to like reasonable rational thought and people don't i think when you begin to learn the science of it it feels more acceptable and you can allow yourself, you can go, well, this is how the human brain works. It's not that there's something wrong with me. This is how my brain works. Mm. It was designed to do this way. And actually, in the right season, this kept me alive. It's not, there's not something wrong with me. It's just that the thing that happened to me is now still affecting me. And I have to learn to unlearn it and to deal with it in a different way. So, you've, you've almost got to like break out of the survival mode, haven't you? You've got to do the, there's some work to do. There's a lot of work mm. to do, especially when you've grown up it takes time. in survival mode. And that's your fundamental kind of default. If you've been in a difficult childhood, if you've been neglected, if you've been abused, if you've had even like there's an interesting case study on like the parents divorce and the actual trauma that that is for children when they're at certain ages, when they're young, especially because they don't see parents as individual people. Parents are like a there are one thing. So then there's this like tearing. And I mean, it's very hard to listen to. I cried. Like, mm -hmm. I cried all the tears. I'm like, my children have been through this. Like, and I know I did the right thing. But at the same time, there's me knowing I did the right thing doesn't negate the loss for them of what that should have been or how much it could hurt them to have their parents be like that, you know? And the same kind of goes for with like arguing when your children are small, like, and the way that it impacts them isn't the way that you think it impacts them because you have rational thought and they don't. And so it's very, it's very, very complex. I keep trying to remind myself that with my teenagers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they won't have fully formed rational thought till they're 30. No, no, especially it's a long way off. yeah, yeah, and, and even then, some some adults still no, they no. haven't they, they have less experience. Like we say, it takes the brain work. Fully formed. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it takes work it though. Does, yeah. So even though the the it really brain does, is and you is have formed. to make that choice, like you mm. have to genuinely commit to being a lifelong learner. I think a lot of people are like oh, I'm out of school and I'm out of college and that's it now. Mm -hmm. Like, no, you have to keep learning until you die. Like, there's no, there's no other way to thrive in life, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Whether that's, I'm going to learn about my craft, my thing that I do, this industry, just some random hobby, something like that I can apply myself to, but that's how you keep your brain healthy. Mm -hmm. And I'm also going to learn about myself. And I'm going to learn about why I am the way I am and whether I like that or whether I need to change that. As it's a lot. Yeah. What I see from you as well is, vulnerability you give a lot you're really showing who you are where does that fit within everything that you do i think 
there's a you know there's a, a podcast I watch sometimes called The Basement, and he says on it like vulnerability is my superpower. I think I would agree. Like, it it is difficult and it is scary, and it's actually it's easier like this than it is in a personal relationship, mm-hmm. because this is very purposeful vulnerability, you know, and it's also vulnerability that's in some ways practiced because I'm used to talking about the things as much as new things often come up when you're because you're talking to a different person my experience talking to you is going to be completely different and it's going to bring different things out and that's beautiful Mm -hmm. but also sometimes surprising but it's harder to be vulnerable in a on a one-to-one like relationship in your personal like in your kind of everyday life I think and I'm still working on that Mm -hmm. but I have I have noticed I lost somebody recently it didn't I broke my heart completely, but I can look back at it and say, actually, it didn't work out and it hurts. It still hurts. And it's been months, but it still hurts. But I was absolutely the bravest I have ever been. And I, I didn't hide and I didn't like shy away from the difficult conversations when he wanted to have them as much as I was like, oh my God, no. Like I <laughs> sat out and I was honest, mm-hmm. even when I knew it was not what he wanted to hear. And that took a lot. And I can say that that's how I can see I'm growing as much as it hurts. I can look back at that and say, mm-hmm. no, I was the most me I have ever been. I just wasn't the most me I've ever been with the right person. Yes, yeah. So you, you, may, you may want something in a moment, but it doesn't mean that it's right for you. And, and it's them as well, you know, mm-hmm. like even for all of the good. And we had like the way that we could talk to each other was the most exceptional thing I have ever experienced in my entire life. But at the same time, it's not just me and my journey. He has his trauma mm. and his journey and whether or not he's where, ready where to do deal with meet? all of that. And mm. it's you have to both be in the same space where you're both ready to. And I think maybe I'm just a little further along in being able to face it. And so it's not even, you know, wrong person, wrong time, any of that. That's all very trite. But actually, it's, I'm just, I'm at a stage where I know it's going to hurt, but I want to face it anyway. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think before that, the stage before that is I want to face it, but I want to face it in a way that just feels better and doesn't hurt. And then you kind of try that for a while and you realize that's not actually sustainable. You have to like, it's like your concrete. You have to dig it out. You have to jackhammer it and break it up and dig it out. You can't just neatly sort of pet it a little bit and hope for the best. Like it's, but we go through phases and I think it is, it is, it is devastating, but it also does affirm that I am where I am and I'm proud to be where I am, even if it's not a space. I've met somebody else that's ready to be there yet, mm-hmm. but that that's a really important thing. Situation again, yeah, it's it? so important to recognise that. So, wh- where does it fit within your art? My art is because that takes a lot to be vulnerable in your art. You, does, you are bear. You, we've talked about how you're bearing your soul mm-hmm. within your poetry. Yeah, you're telling the world what your thoughts are, what your journey's been. Mm-hmm. You could put that out there, and it. You don't know what the response is going to be, no, do you? No, you don't. You absolutely don't. Um, I would say I've been very lucky. I'm sure there are plenty of people online, keyboard warriors, that absolutely hate me. But they haven't... Why, why do you think that? Well, because no, I'm not for everybody. I don't mm. want to be for everybody. You know, like, this is one of the things... You I've put always... a post yesterday, didn't you, about something yeah. similar? But what I did it say? I can't remember. It said something <laughs> like... Uh, uh, 
Um, yeah, I'm not for everybody. I was, I was probably like about that. not being too much, I think. That was the one, yeah. Yeah. Um, like, sometimes I think we, we have this kind of default where we want everyone to like us, right? But when you break it down to it's like most basic, if you were sat in a room with Hitler and Mother Teresa and they both really liked you, like, who the heck are you? Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I'm like, there's a lot of people in this world. I would be very honored for them to not like me. Like, I don't. And I think once you get past that and actually you're like, I'm okay with the fact that I am for a certain number of people. There are people who love me. I am a bit of a marmite human being. People adore me completely. And other people, yeah, literally like, and when we're supposed to be, imagine if we all just liked each other Mm. or all just hated, like life would just be very boring. Mm -hmm. And the joy in life is discovering your people and finding them and building your own family, building your own community, building whatever it is that you need to build for your soul to feel like it's home or it has somewhere to belong and to make that for other people. That is joyful. But actually a lot of it is, nope, nope, nope. Oh my goodness, you. Like, yes, you've got this kind of vision. I can see that in you. Let's find a project together. Let's sit down and talk about it on a podcast. Let's, you know, like those are the people and then it's joyful to find them. But it's actually, it is joyful to find them because... They're rare. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But but important as well. So important. They're diamonds. They literally are. Yeah, yeah. So so what's next for you then? Where where are you going next? We know you... We, uh, so I you mean, use, to the top. Yeah. To the, where, where, what does the top look like? I don't know. It's a... It's an unraveling, isn't it? Like, I have dreams and I have ideas and there are things that I... Oh, what's the dream? What's the to dream? To achieve... The dreams are the very vulnerable things that I've never told anybody. <laughs> I have some dreams. Do you know what? Actually, I would really love to have like a show on Netflix. Okay. Sometimes I think this life and my kids and, you know, I don't even like reality TV, but actually I think in a similar way to the writing, to the talking, and actually it started this person that I lost. It started the thought and that kind of dream in me started because I said, you like the way that we could talk to each other was exceptional. Mm. Sometimes I would think like if people could just be like a fly on the wall for this conversation, like that would change a lot. Mm-hmm. And it opens people's and I would just and I think actually that is that is a So what would that what would that cuz we're going back to hope, aren't we? we when are. we're talking about yeah. dreams. Like so so you have it you have a show on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, uh, the show and you say, not necessarily Netflix that's just you know yeah yeah you you have it you, you have it services are available. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> you you have a you have a platform where I think it's just I think it's that it's, you know like I notice for me as well you know it's that when we share ourselves we help people heal mm-hmm. and so when they they have an idea of you and who you are and what you do but there's something there is something about seeing somebody's life and the way that they rebuild it or the way that they handle it, or the way that it kicks them when they're down and then they have to figure it out, that is very, very engaging. And I think that I'm not like, there's a lot of very superficial reality TV that's very... I want to say inspiring. But like, yeah, I'd like it to be something mm -hmm. real, but also, and also creative. Like, do you remember that show? Um, I think it was Escape to the Chateau. Like, like an element of that, like that was technically a reality show, but they mm-hmm. also had these incredible creative projects they were getting on with. Like if you could blend that with something with a bit more real life in it, that would be my, my dream. Okay. Yeah. So how, how are we going to get there? How's that going to... 
I'm going to do lots of podcasts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And what uh, about if what I about knew how to make it happen? It would be here already. What right? about your own your own podcast? You you're so you're on it. you're on you're on the radio, right? Yes. Yeah. What kind of radio station is this? It's a Chancel Community Radio. Okay. Four point four FM online okay. and in the CCR app. <laughs> 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 is that so the jingle is it that's that's the standard <laughs> line that i like to put out there okay um it's yeah i started that in like july and i absolutely love radio mm-hmm. it's uh i just have like i have a monday lunchtime show so it's it's not an interview show sometimes i've covered for other people and done interview shows and i love interview shows mm-hmm. but i also really like that my show is i just i get to bring some joy into people's day and i'll have a chat and i do my links and I'll play certain music and I'll take some requests or whatever and people will text me sometimes about something and well, you know. But it's just, it's that kind of, it almost feels like a companionship thing, you know, like, and I think it again comes back to that. I just would, if I can speak out across the airwaves or whatever it is into somebody's day mm-hmm. in a way that makes them feel like they have a friend and that they're not alone, like it's a very different way of doing it, but it's also kind of the same thing. Um and I love having the different ways to do that and to reach people. And it's, mm-hmm. it is genuinely joyful. I dance a lot. I only play songs I like. Just the freedom <laughs> of community radio, isn't it? Yes, I say yeah. I take requests, but if you ask me to play something I don't like, I will not do it. So <laughs> where, where, where can you hear this? Where can, where can we uh, listen yeah, so in? Is it's it on it's a, online. Right, um, okay. If, any, wherever. You've got like Alexa play. Yeah. Chancel Community Radio. Right, and okay. she absolutely will. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I'll, have a, I'll definitely have a, have a That's listen. That's fun. And you should come on. Yeah, yeah. You can what, come what on and co-present a show <laughs> with me. It's fun. I've had a couple yeah. of friends. Well, I don't really do an interview show, but so I'll have them come on for like the whole two hours and we'll literally chat like this. Right, okay. In the links, but we'll have longer links and less music. Yeah, no, let's do it. Yeah, yes. cool. Yeah, no, I'm very, very open to that, open to, to new things. Um, you know, it's, it's strange, actually. This... Before I started this, this isn't something that I would consider doing. Mm-hmm. I don't. Con- I think those are the best things. Yeah, I'd have never considered myself someone to to be open and vulnerable and mm-hmm. and having a conversation, <laughs> like <laughs> having an open conversation. Yeah. Um. But but I'm I'm trying to throw myself into saying yes more. In fact, the one I did one of these last night with a friend that I haven't seen in about ten years. Magic. Um, which was beautiful catching up with him after 10 years. And mm-hmm. you're like, why haven't I seen you in 10 years? Like, yeah, how is there's that? so much to unpack. Yeah, how, how has that happened? But we sat down last night and the, there was this discovery in this conversation that saying yes to things is important and being open to new things mm-hmm. is, is... Right, like I only just started radio and I wouldn't have expected to discover at this age something that I love so much that I mm. had never even in my wildest dreams thought oh I'll be like a radio presenter like no it like it happened by accident and I fell into it and I absolutely adore it and that is so joyful like discovering new things life requires adventure Mm. like I read somewhere that that's how you make a relationship work I mean not obviously it has to be a certain level of basic human decency involved which I have been lacking (laughs) but you in the beginning everything's an adventure because you're discovering things together. And then they say that, you know, especially people tend to get, they, they like to go to a certain place on holiday and they like to do this and they like, and they realize actually sometimes you have to go out together and do something you're probably both going to hate because that in itself is the experience that will bond you and unite you and mm-hmm. keep the adventure going. And so I'm very, I'm, I would like a life of adventure 
whatever that looks like. That's my word of the year for 2024. Is adventure. adventure. The year of adventure. Mm-hmm. The start of new things for you. Yeah, and that's not necessarily, I mean, we are going to, I'm going to go to Albania. Okay. Which is, I'm excited about for my birthday. My mm-hmm. birthday for once is not in the Easter holidays. So it's cheap to go somewhere for my right. birthday okay. as opposed <laughs> to like makes you want to cry and is completely unachievable. So my son and I, my oldest son and I mm-hmm. are going just for like three nights. So there's nice. that kind of adventure, but... Mm-hmm. I'm also aware that this in and of itself, this right here, what we're doing, that's an adventure. Yeah, we don't know way. where this... Well, well, going back to when I started this, like I didn't know where this would take me. No. I didn't. I didn't know you. You before. still don't know where this. No, is and take I didn't. Know, I didn't know you before today, and I've done like seventy of these now, and That's big numbers. Sitting down with like seventy individuals and having conversation mm-hmm. lists, and the impact of that that that's had and on how me. They are, and who yeah. these people are, and I think yeah. it's it's a beautiful thing because you wouldn't necessarily be friends with all of those people. No, no. But it's I use it like you can't hate anybody up close. Like, no matter how fundamentally you disagree with somebody mm-hmm. when they're, like, over there, when you sit them down next to you and you talk to them, you can't hate them. Even if at the end of the conversation you still fundamentally disagree with everything that they stand for, mm-hmm. you cannot hate somebody. And the world is built on so much hatred that is predicated by distance. We keep people mm. away. It's them versus us. It's they, it's this. It's, you know, like, the, when we stop seeing people as human, it's like... When you look through history at dehumanizing words that were used, you know, and policemen are pigs and they call black people monkeys or people get called rats or, you know, like, or Mm -hmm. pussy is the one that annoys me as a woman. It's dehumanizing and it's there for a reason. It's not, it's not just slang. Like it's an intentional distancing to create hatred because if you look at somebody that's different to you and you can say them as a person, all right, I don't like what you stand for. I don't like who you are any of that but I also can see that you're a mother that you're a father that you're a son that you work hard like then you can't hate them because they're a human being and so this like distance is it's interesting but this Mm. this conversations that you have with all of these different people they open up like to the people that are then watching and thinking well I disagree with everything that guy said but also that that was still an interesting thing and that that made me think about some stuff and it no matter like distance is it's got a lot to blame for distance i think but yeah. it's a it's an important tactic but it's it's opening it's closing that distance and i do feel like that's what this is doing and in fact yesterday someone on social media uh, the a keyboard warrior mm-hmm. said had something negative to say about oh. one of the guests on a on a on the podcast and i was when i saw it i was upset for the get the, the mm-hmm. person that had come on because uh, he was a friend um, but then when I sat back and I reviewed it, I, I said to him, Look, this is, this is the bait. Yeah, it's it opened a conversation. Exactly like, that. Like get, in, get, like, get involved with the conversation. Don't just sit back. Like, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about this. That person disagrees what we've said. Let's, let's continue talking yeah. about it. Let's, let's find out, let, let's find out if there's some middle ground here. And I think um, we have to let go of our need to be right. Mm. nine times out of ten nobody's actually right it's just that you feel right yeah an opinion in that situation and there's you know there's some even when you there are ways where you feel like this is very clearly right and that's very clearly wrong when you when you go to it's kind of like with the childhood trauma and unpacking all of the things if you could take that keyboard warrior Mm. and uh, I read a thing the other day and it said to understand the oak we must go back and look at the acorn if you look at them and you stop thinking of them as why are they just this hateful troll on the internet? Well, why? Why? Literally, why mm-hmm. are they 
doing this, you know, like, and people become people and they become interesting again. And I think if you can open the conversation, even if it starts off from a place that, and it's some, some people are just looking yeah, for some an people, argument and you or they need the attention engage with them. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that they were listening then and they commented and they hate it, you know, they're listening the next time. So you've got them, mm-hmm. whether even when they hate you, you're like, you're still opening their mind and creating thought and planting seed and that you never know when that's going to come back seed some seeds stay in the ground for years Mm -hmm. before they grow Uh, bamboo seed is in the ground for three years before it shoots it's the slowest seed i think that there is but then it's also the fastest growing plant like you can't you can't ever kind of you can't predict when these things are going to be but that person disagreed and they had something to say about it. And that they were obviously paying enough attention to go online then and comment on something. And they didn't even comment, you know, like in the space necessarily that as they were listening. So, and you don't know, like something else could happen in their life. And you may never find out, but it is that ripple effect. A couple of weeks down the line, a couple of months down the line, is there going to be a situation in their life that comes up that makes them go like, oh, wait, I remember that. That really annoyed me at the time. But now that this has happened... Mm-hmm. And maybe I need to rethink it. Like it's it's all important. Even so much of it we don't see. And so much of what we don't see is probably the most powerful like messaging that we put out there. Definitely. This is one of the most valued conversations I've had on this <laughs> podcast yet so far. I really do appreciate you you joining me on I've here. had such a good time. I love it's, it. It's the, 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 I'm, sh- I'm sure there's so much more more to hear, hear from you. I could talk uh, forever. Well, like, well, you have to put a cap on that. Well, you, I, I encourage anyone to follow what you're doing on, on Instagram, on social media, Thank and um, check out your art, check out your poetry. Um, but one final question for you that, that I'd like to get to. If you could go back to when you was in that dark place mm-hmm. and you could go back in time and speak to that person, what would you say to them now? Just keep going. Like, I wouldn't even say I'm out of it. I think you're never really out of it. It's just life and it's constantly evolving. And it's, it's naive to think I, there's never going to be anything else. There is. It's just going to be different. But I think... In that moment where she's down the side of the bed and hiding and reading that blog, I think that woman, I hope that, I think something in me, something in her knew that I have what it took to survive and that it would be worth it. Yes, it's going to hurt, but you are brave enough. You have courage. And I think there's a difference between bravery and courage. And like it it isn't bravery if you're not scared, right? Mm Mm-hmm. It's just fearlessness and that's a whole other situation. But no matter how scared I was, I, I think I always knew that I was gonna, that I was gonna survive, that I was gonna, and not just survive, but I always had this kind of underlying hope that there was something more and that it would mean something. And I think it does. Thank you, Louise. Thank you. Louise the Phoenix. Uh Next time I see you, I'm going to have a tattoo. I probably won't still. I have so many in my mind that I just have not got the money for. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. So, um, and and thank you for anyone listening or or watching. Uh, Thank you for for joining us in this this conversation. 
Um, if you'd like to find out more about the BTS Creative Academy, uh, you can just search. What would they search? BTS Creative Academy. So. <laughs> yeah, really simple, isn't it? That's quite obvious <laughs> quite <laughs> when you think about it. And of course, don't forget to like and subscribe so that you don't miss out on any future conversations. Yeah, I will be doing so from now on. And I'll be interested to go back through the back catalogue. Wonderful. Love me a good conversation. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. That was the BTS Creative Academy podcast, Uncut.